Okay, well, thanks, uh, Matt and Beck, and welcome aboard, Louis and Nia. Love to have you part of our community and for reminding us about the ways in which God has been at work and is work in this whole spirited theme. It was yesterday afternoon, and I was um, finalizing the details for today's talk, and I felt a little bit unsettled, and that continued because I didn't think that the um, the topic that I'd prepared for was perhaps apt for today, given all the different circumstances. In fact, that feeling and that sense uh, had begun a few days before when I was um, listening to the latest uh, outworking of the restrictions. And I found myself sitting down in my room and I placed on some quiet music and I reached for my Bible and I turned to the Psalms that I'd been reading over these past months has been my habit. The Psalms are the place in the Bible we go to, the, the poets and the musicians, and they kind of connect the things that are happening in their lives and their experiences with who they know and experience and desire God to be. And so I happened to turn to the, the page that I was up to and the psalm that I was up to, the, that poem, that, that music, that, uh, that book of prose, and I turned to Psalm 62. And in the first two sentences that I read, this is what it said. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my deliverance. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. And as I sat there and I reflected upon those words, I imagined myself being wrapped up in God's refuge, God's rock. And the image that came to me was of a mother hen with her arms and little chickens being wrapped around and God drawing them in close. And in that moment, that's how I felt. And I sensed God ministering to me in that space. Given that we don't know, uh, we had all a collective sense that this wasn't just going to be the short game, but the long game or the longer game. I was wondering, how are we going to continue to move forward? And what did that mean for me? And in that moment that I sensed God ministering to me, I continued to think and wonder if new community needs ministering to in just the same way. So it was yesterday afternoon that I... I text the pastoral team and I said, I don't usually do this, but what I'd like to do today is change gear, shift gear, and do something a little different, what I think is appropriate and apt for today, for this season. So what I really like to do is that same ministering that I had from God to me is something that he might do for you today. What's that word, ministry? I think it's taking the things of God and who he is and giving them to others for their good. I wonder if you are a, a young family that's juggling ins and outs of kids and work as well, and you're feeling like you're the, near the end of your tether. I'd like God to minister to you today. I wonder if you are studying year 11 and year 12, and you're uncertain of the next four or five months and what they hold for you, and you're a bit anxious. I'd like for God to minister to you today. I wonder if you are uh, solo at home and feeling the isolation of yet another time that we're in a protracted state of lockdown and you're feeling the pressure and the anxiety and the, the distance from other people. 
I'd like God to minister to you. Or if you are running a business or you're working in a business and you're managing other people and the pressures that are on you to pivot and change so much that you feel like you're getting near the edge yourself, that you're near the end of your tether, I'd like God to minister to you. I wonder if you're experiencing senses of anxiety or panic, fear, or feeling that dark cloud of heaviness descend upon you. I'd like for God to minister to you today. And so what I'd like to do is pause for a moment, invite God to take the things that he would have for us from him and that he might deliver them to you wherever you are, whatever your experience is today. If you'd like to join with me, I'm going to pray. Father God, just from where you are in your place where you dwell, not too far away in your heavenly dwelling space, I ask that you might speak to us today, that you might minister to us today, that you might give to us that which we need so that we might collectively stay strong and firm and walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you'd do something for me just right now. Would you go, if you've got a Bible, would you go and grab one? I know we often say, would you, you know, we invite you to use your phone and an app on the phone. But for today, what I'd love you to do is if, if there's someone there with you that you can just send someone out to go and find a Bible or if you have one, would you go ahead and grab that? What I'd love you to do is turn with me to Psalm 62 because the, the power of this particular Psalm is that it's someone who's writing, not in the calm, but as Jack's going to put it down, but in the midst, the very midst of a storm. They're in a storm where the currents are shifting and changing, where the wind is blowing, and they're reflecting and they're writing these words that I think speak so powerfully. So what I think is always really good to have is a hard copy, because let's say some virus came and attacked your phone and you couldn't have any access to your electronic copy. I want to know that you can go to a place um, that you can hold this, that you can feel this, that you can taste this, that you can see this. So why don't you go ahead and grab a hard copy. And uh, as you're turning to Psalm 62, I just want to make the observation that as I've been interacting with people over the past few weeks, there's a theme that seems to continue to be rolling through. And it's this, the word simplify. I'm hearing it, people, when they're talking about their businesses. We don't need to do any other particular thing. What we need to do in this season is simplify. I'm hearing families say the same thing. You know, we can't add another thing to our sort of schedule, but what we need to do is simplify. I'm hearing followers of Jesus say the same thing. This is a season in which I feel that God's calling me to simplify my life. And so the simple message I want to direct to you today is simply this. In the times of change and trauma, we don't learn anything new. But what we do do is cling on to the things that we do know to be true. And this one truth I know, this simple truth to be powerful, is that God is a fortress and a rock. Make God your fortress. Make God your rock. I'm going to read from the NLT version. If you want to run with me, this is what it says. 
Psalmist begins and he says these words. He says, I wait quietly before God for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock, my salvation. That word is my deliverer, my fortress where I will never be shaken. What the psalmist has in mind, what the poet, the singer songwriter has in mind is three images of who God is. They envisage God to be a rock, something that is strong and steady. They, they imagine God to be a rescuer, a deliverer, and they imagine God and they envisage, they picture him as a fortress. Some years ago, I was over in Scotland and uh, Edinburgh Castle sits on top of, this is called a rocky outpost or a crag. That's what the word actually is. And here are these two ideas that are kind of, if you like, connected together. Now, this isn't always altogether a good image of Edinburgh Castle because over the centuries, it's it's been preached that many times. It kind of doesn't quite fit with the metaphor. But you get the idea here of what this psalmist is trying to direct and and imagine what God and who God is like. He's like that fortress, that impenetrable fortress on top of that rocky outcrop, that crag. And what he wants you to do is imagine that that is who God is. And then we discover, if you like, that that's very much what he needs. He needs to know that God is a fortress, that God is a rock, and that God is a rescuer. Over the past week, I've heard of people in Sydney getting angry because there's been a prolonged lockdown. Welcome to our... Welcome to our world, Sydney. (laughs) I heard that there was one of those persons who was protesting and they held up a placard that read something like this. Um, The blood of Jesus is my vaccine. And when I heard that, I was frustrated. I was frustrated because, one, I don't think it's cool to, if you like, trivialize the suffering of Jesus his death and his self-giving crucifixion in, in a haphazard way. If you like, that's, he died and he rose again for, for you and for I. The second thing that came to my mind is that uh, you shouldn't test God with your health. <laughs> and the third thing that came to my mind was Jesus never said that we wouldn't die. But Jesus says that after death that we will live. And Jesus' followers carry this sense of hope that come what may, when the chips are down, there is someone in whom that they can trust and he has defeated death and that even after death they will live. And so that's where I thought that placard, if you like, that sign got it completely wrong. You see, all of the followers of Jesus, those disciples, they all died, many of them tragic, persecuted deaths. But what they carried the hope with of having come to know Jesus and place their confidence in him and seeing him rise in a bodily sense, in a physical way, is that they too, when they die, will live again. Jesus' followers never claimed that they wouldn't die or experience discomfort or disease or hardship. They carried the belief that they would live. And so Jesus, I don't believe, made, well, he didn't make many promises, but the, one, the promises that he did make are powerful. He once said, in this world you will have trouble, but take courage, for I've overcome the world. And then he said in, in another place, he said, even in the midst of your troubles and your difficulties, I am with you always. 
even to the end of this age. So if you're sitting at home this morning and you're a a mum and a dad and you're juggling kids and you're wondering how to make it work and you're feeling like you're at the end of your tether, I want you to know that God is with you. If you're in the workplace and you're feeling the pressure of moving back and forward from into the office to back home to different things that you need to be doing online and you're just tired and you're exhausted, I want you to know that God is with you. I want you to know that if you're feeling the overwhelming sense of anxiety and fear and maybe that blanket of darkness or depression descending upon you, I want you to know that even in the midst of those experiences and those emotions that God is with you. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't die. He promised that we would live. And people who followed him, who carried that hope, really believed that actually that would change the world and their perspective around them. They could get on with living because they weren't afraid ultimately of dying. Make God your fortress. And so the psalmist goes on and we discover why it is, or if you like, what the nature of his storm particularly is. And he writes this, so many enemies against one man. All of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. He goes on and says, they plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. You see, what this person was experiencing is the the reality of people plotting and scheming and wanting to undermine him, even take his life. He had that sense of vulnerability, if you like, that they wanted to tear his fences down or he was like a fence that needed to be pulled down or toppled down. In fact, after the winds a few weeks ago, I actually know people here at New Community whose fences did fall down. And I know the experience of that as they described it is this kind of it makes you feel vulnerable. Anyone can just walk into your property. The parameters and the boundaries that you had around you were no longer keeping you safe in the way in which you had anticipated that they would. Surely if there's a metaphor for this time, it's this, isn't it? Is that with the onset of COVID and a new strain, we don't know if you like what next week will bring or the week after. It's as though our fences have been pulled down. If you like, they've been tottering. And there's this sense of upon us in which we feel vulnerable. I'm not sure if you've anything like me, but I know there's been times in which I've felt vulnerable in this season. There's been times I've also felt frustrated. I've felt frustration when our homes get locked down and our businesses get locked down, and yet the one thing that we can't live without makes it to aeroplanes and travels to different states where they can land and still play their sport. Because if there's one thing we know in the midst of a pandemic that we cannot live without, and that is AFL football, and they seem to have just a golden ticket to everywhere in the country. Call me cynical, but I don't think we can live without our football because what would we do with our gambling? (laughs) You see, in the midst of our frustrations... And sometimes our angers. The psalmist would say, when you're feeling vulnerable, make God your fortress. Make God your fortress. He presses on and he says these words. 
Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock. He alone is my deliverer. He alone is my fortress, for where, uh, where I will not be shaken. You see, you have this, this incredible sense from when this, this psalmist is writing these words that he's not calling us to actually move into a tranquil garden and reduce the static in our world and listen to some easy listening music, even though those are good things to do in this season. But what he has in mind here is this quietly waiting or this waiting quietly before God has more got to do with a disposition on the inside of him that steals himself. It's like an athlete that's being prepared to cross or, if you like, execute their, their final delivery of their sporting event that they've taken all their lives to actually prepare for. And when you look at them, they're, they're the starting blocks. So they're about to do uh, their, their particular event. And if you look into their eyes, there's this steeliness about them. It's as though all that they've mustered within is not being distracted by the pressures from outside or the pressures that they might place upon themselves. But as a result of all the preparation they've put in, you look in their eyes and you can see that they are stealing themselves for the moment. And that's exactly what the psalmist is calling people to do is to steal themselves and to steal themselves towards God. To say, God, you are my rock. God, you are my deliverer. God, you are my fortress. And to fix those images directly at the forefront of their thinking. Even in the midst of their sense of dispersion and vulnerability. And then they press on and they say this. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge. Fourth image. A rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people. Then the psalmist turns and talks to not just himself now, his own experience, but looking out and projecting that idea forward. He says, oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Many years ago when my wife and I were preparing in a Bible college over in Portland, Oregon, to become ministers... Our third year of study, we ended up being lead tenants in a refuge. And the refuge was located in downtown Portland. It was a refuge for women and their children escaping violent men. Not all men are violent. One of the things I love about New Community is that we have so many men who model in such a good way what it means to be able to harness their strength and use their skills and their capacities for good. But in the situation that Bronwyn and I were in, we became lead tenants for, for women, frightened children who were fleeing violent men. And the way in which the, the refuge worked is that you had a security door at the start uh, and we were in the first unit, so we got to hear every time someone came in and out. And there was a, a video screen watching so we could see who entered to make sure that only those people that we were caring for were allowed inside that refuge. But the truth of the matter was that if you were outside of that building, we didn't have, if you like, any particular jurisdiction. But once those women and their children made it inside, there was a sense inside of me and inside of Bron that we were there to wrap our arms around them and to protect them. And there was a safe shelter and a refuge on the inside. 
And that's exactly what the psalmist has in mind when he pictures God as a refuge. And he implores them, if you like, implores people, no matter whether you know God really fully or whether you're just searching for God, to reach out to him. And he would say these words, to make God your refuge, you need to make God your refuge. I know it sounds a little bit circular, but to make God your refuge, you need to make God your refuge. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's not as though I I write all these things down, but this is the way it intuitively works for me. To make God my refuge, when I'm experiencing storms and winds and seasons of uncertainty, when my walls feel like they've been broken down, I wake up in the morning time and I need to make a decision. I need to make a decision. In whom or what do I trust? In whom or what do I trust? I remember every time I used to get on an aeroplane some time ago now, I would make a decision. You see, when I'm on the runway and I'm seated in that aircraft and the aircraft is, is speeding along the tarmac, my, my logic goes something like this. This is ridiculous that this huge lump of steel in just a few moments' time is actually going to take off from the ground and I'm going to be thousands of feet in the air. Like It, it just messes with my logic. So in the midst of that, it's not that I don't trust the pilot or that I don't trust Boeing, but what I don't get in that moment is to how the whole thing's going to work. And so in those moments, just before we lift off, I'm in the habit always of making a decision. And it's a decision like a silent prayer that I utter up to God and it goes something like this. God, into your hands I commit my life. It's not because I don't trust the pilot or because I don't trust some of the physics. It's just that I realize in that moment that when I'm feeling small, there's someone much bigger and greater in whom I entrust my life. The second thing I do to, if you like, take hold of the refuge, is that I realize I need to enter his refuge. I need to enter it. You see, for me, it's not just enough to say, oh, God, you're out there somewhere and I decide to put my trust in you. There's a second action and impulse inside of me that actually wants to walk towards him and close to him. And so I imagine that I'm walking up close to God, that I'm walking into his fortress, that I'm standing upon his rock, that I'm walking towards a rescuer. And I position myself and I posture myself, if you like, close to who he is. And it's as though emotionally within myself, I enter in and I stand directly before him. The third thing I do is that when I actually get there, just like the psalmist says, I pour out my heart and I tell God what's going on in my world. So easily and too easy, we just want to sweep things under the carpet and tie up all the neat knots and say that it's all good and fine. No. What the psalmist implores, this singer-songwriter wants to say, is that you can pour out your heart to God and you tell him what's going on in your world. And so I do. I find myself telling God all the different things that are happening for me in my world and those around about me. I acknowledge them. And then fourthly, 
I learn to attach. If you like, I picture there's this car. I don't usually do this, but just for the sake of the illustration now, if you're you're driving a four-wheel drive and I've got a trailer at home that when I load it up, I don't have a four-wheel drive, but I drag it along. I I borrow someone else's car because I don't have a tow ball. But I, I take that trailer and I put it onto the tow ball. And when I sit it onto the tow ball, I actually then take um, two chains and I attach them to the car in case the tow ball actually falls off or if the load shifts in some way and it pivots and it's got an extra, if you like, a double security on it. And, and the way in which I envisage attaching to God is recognizing that he is the car and I am the trailer. And when I attach to him, it means that I emotionally respond to him, that I intellectually respond to him. And I say to myself, God, I am trusting in you. If you like, I am attaching and I'm hooking myself to you. And then lastly, once you've hitched your trailer to his car, I realize that who I'm attaching myself to is a human being, God in the flesh, and his name's Jesus. I am attaching myself to someone who has experienced suffering and fears and anguish and isolation and vulnerability, and I choose to follow and make my refuge in him. Make him your refuge. The psalmist then goes on because after he's poured out his heart to God and is attached to him, he also observes that those people who have been trying to pull him down, they say these words Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. You see, if you weigh them on the scales together, they are lighter than a breath of air. I think what he's trying to ask himself is that intuitive question, in whom or what do I trust? And as he looks around and he looks at those people who are causing the storms and the waves in his life, he realizes that they are just, if you like, all of their lives collectively together. If you put them on a set of scales, they are lighter, if you like, than a breath of wind. And he, he does the rationalizing in his mind and realizes, who are these people who are just finite? Why am I putting my trust in them? Why am I getting so over-concerned about them? What I need to do is attach and I need to place my, my hope and my trust in, in the weightier part of the scales in who God is. I wonder if you have become angered or a bit frustrated in the way, the way in which some of our, our leaders have been leading over the past year. Our leaders have been doing some fantastic things and we need to pray for them. But also we've been seeing exactly what the Bible anticipates we would see them doing. The last year has been a rerun of Genesis 3 where individuals and groups have said, we want to call the shots and when the shots haven't gone all that well, then they've pointed the finger at each other and they've played the blame game. I don't know if you get frustrated about that, I just observe that. But what I realize can happen in me, and I'll put my hand up first, is that if I get attached to that kind of thing, and I get hooked on to that kind of frustration and anger, then what I find in myself, I just become another angry person. Now there's not just one, there's two of us. And I wonder if what the, the, this psalmist is trying to say is stop putting so much attachment into human beings 
that are sinful just like you and I, that are broken just like you and I, attached to God. I wonder if you're listening to this right now and the best thing you can do is unhook from the social media. You need to unhook from that unhealthy kind of conversation that would just lead you down a path that will go nowhere and you need to reattach and hook yourself to God. Because then he goes on and he says, because if you don't, this is exactly what will happen to you. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. He's, what he's trying to say is that if you go down that path and you drink the Kool-Aid, then you'll probably become just the same as them. And so he brings it together and he draws it to a close. And he says these words, God has spoken plainly. And I've heard it many times. Once I've heard it twice. Power, O oh God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, that is his faithful commitment to you and his people, O oh Lord, is yours. And what he calls out and he cries out and he invites people to do is to make God your rock. Make God your fortress, make God your deliverer and make God your refuge. Who is your refuge? Who is your fortress? Who are you looking to? In whom or what will you trust? Yesterday morning I received a call from someone's brother The man's name he was referring to is David. He was calling on his behalf because David was no longer with us. He died a week ago in hospital. David was someone who for a short season in life connected here at New Community probably three years ago. And over the course of that three years, uh, uh, from that, that time, around two or three years, he and I became close we would catch up we'd have coffee together David was the guy who came in with a cool hat um, uh, funny shoes colorful shoes and dark sunglasses and he would sit up the back and we would catch up for coffee and if you knew David's backstory you would wonder at how he would make room in his life for someone like me who represented a religious authority and having come to understood and understand that, whenever I caught up with David, I felt like it was an honor. An honor that despite the complexity of his circumstances when he was growing up, he could differentiate between the good and the bad. And so we would, we would share life, as he did with some others here at New Community. Due to complications in health three weeks ago, I discovered that he was in hospital. And so I used my pastor card and I broke into Box Hill Hospital and I made my way up to ICU and I hardly recognized David. And as I sat beside him, I opened up words from the Bible and I read words to him about a God whose unfailing, unceasing, unyielding love is towards him. I read words about Jesus saying that he is life and he is truth and he is a way. 
And I shared with him about how he might know a confident assurance that even despite death, that life may come. And I said to him as we sat beside each other, David, would you like to have that conversation with God now? And being the, the more introverted man or the close personal man that he was, he said, Troy, I think I probably need to have that conversation myself. And so I prayed with him and I left him for the last time. You see, what I was trying to point him towards is a hope and a fortress and a refuge and a deliverer and a rock that nothing will overpower. And his name is Jesus. I wonder if you're here this morning and you need to hear his words to you afresh. Make me your rock. Whatever circumstances you're in, make me your refuge. For I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to pray for you right now, and if that's who you are and what you sense God speaking to you, I'm going to pray that he might anchor that in you. But I also hear the words of Jesus who said this. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus' followers carry a hope that is rock solid. A hope that they carry with them that transforms their lives. Jesus said if the salt becomes unsalty or saltless, what use is it just to be trampled under the, under the feet of humans? And then he goes on and he says, you are the light of the world. So a city, if you like, isn't hidden. A light isn't hidden under a lamp, but a light shines for all to see. And so I want to say to you in this season, new community, let your light shine. This is our time to shine. So be salt and be light because you carry a hope that is life. Let me pray. Father God, in this place right now, I pray and I ask that you might be speaking to many people. I ask God that families might cluster around together, young and old alike, and they might see these words and hear them and know they're from you. As a family, may they make you their rock. Father, I ask that for those who are isolated and feeling like they're alone, that they might sense your overwhelming presence reaching into them and beside them right now. I ask, Father, for those who are feeling the heavy weight of darkness or feel like they're near the edge of a a precipice that is just pulling them forward, I ask that you might retrieve them and pull them back. And may you remind them of your overwhelming love Would you minister to them? I pray and I ask this in Jesus' name. And for those who are wondering, how do I become a Christian and know you? 
May they hear your gentle call and may they know that the powerful truth is that you've done everything and that they realize that what's been true all along is that your arms are open and that you're inviting them to just walk into them and say, thank you for what you've done. I receive you into my life. Come, Lord Jesus. And now, Father, as we hear the words of this next song, I ask that you might powerfully meet with us during this time as we anchor our lives in you. In Jesus' name we pray.